Hi, and welcome to another Zero to ASIC interview. And today I'm very happy to be joined by Tom Spiro, one of the open road developers. So, Tom, nice to meet you. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on your podcast. And um, maybe as a brief introduction, yeah, I'm the uh, chief architect and technical project manager of Open Road. I joined the project back in 2019. And I've been a longtime EDA developer. In fact, I wrote my first static timing engine in 1988 at VLSI Technology. And it was actually the first STA engine to be trusted to sign off devices for fabrication without doing timing-based simulation. Uh, I worked in static timing longer. I was the original architect of the primetime STA algorithm. Uh, from there, I managed the common timing engine at Cadence and the precursor to the open access database um, at Cadence as well. And I've held other senior technical positions at Synopsys, Cadence, Simplex, AMD, Altera, and Intel. Pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what uh, got you, so, and now do you do open road development full time? Yes, I do it full time. Yeah. And Open Road is all fully open source, is that right? That's right. Everything yeah. is open source. You can see all the work that we do on GitHub. Yeah. So what um, drove you to um, get involved with an open source? I mean, I'm, I guess I'm just assuming that a lot of those other jobs were probably, you weren't allowed to do public stuff. Yeah, this is my first open source project ever. When I joined, I had to learn a lot. Licenses, GitHub, Git in general. <clears throat> How do you work in a team where everything you do is visible? So it's actually been quite a challenge to come up to speed. Everything I had done before was closed source, like you said. And I got involved with the project, partly my relationship with Professor Andrew Kong. We've worked together on projects on and off for years. And the thing that was attractive to me about it was that this was a chance, number one, to really not just incrementally innovate, but try to do something big in EDA. Of course, doing something big in EDA, first we had to build the base. And that's sort of where myself and a couple of other industrial developers can come in and help make sure that there's a solid base before we go off and try to do the big innovations. And how long has Open Road been going for? It started in 2018, uh, so it had been going for about a year when I joined. Okay, um, so like three years of development then? Three years so far and one more year to go under the current funding. Of course, we're hoping to okay. extend and continue the project. Yeah, and the funding is from DARPA, is that correct? That's correct. Mostly from DARPA. The few others have donated a little bit, but the bulk is from DARPA. Okay. And um, so I first heard of Open Road watching, I think, um, Mohammed Shalan's presentation on Open Lane as part of the mm -hmm. eFabulous um, tooling. And uh, it always struck me there was this like central block that did some really key stuff mm -hmm. entitled Open Road. So um, can you tell us a little bit about how Open Road fits inside Open Lane? Sure. So Open Lane is, in terms of its use of Open Road, has wrapper scripts that basically run Open Road from RTL to GDS2. And Open Lane provides a nice, easy entry point for users into Open Road. If you bring up Open Road standalone, it will look a lot like a tickle-based EDA application with all the commands that people are used to seeing there. 
And what Open Lane does is it wraps that and provides this automatic flow, which gets you from RTL to GDS using one of the open source PDKs. Uh, I think OpenLane also supports some closed source PDKs, but for most of the open source users that are watching this, probably everybody's using one of the Sky 130 PDKs. Yeah. Um, and maybe I asked this question in slightly the wrong order, but um, what is the aim of OpenRoad? So there are a few different aims. The first thing is, is to create an open source vehicle for advanced EDA research. And what I usually tell people is I worked in EDA industry for years. When we would see academic papers, most of the academic papers we would put down nearly right away because, well, I built a new placement algorithm, but it's not timing driven. Or, you know, again, it doesn't, uh, I built a new optimization algorithm, but the static timing engine inside is not incremental. So the run times are very slow and you can't really properly evaluate how the algorithm works. And what happened was EDA industry has gotten very far ahead of EDA research in terms of the base of software on which to develop. So one of the big aims of this is this is an open source vehicle for advanced EDA research. It's a base EDA system, not so unlike the commercial systems that you see. And from here, we hope to do a lot of advanced research. Okay, so um, one thing that you said there that I was interested in is about how the industry is ahead of the, the research. Could you just expand a little bit on that? Sure. So I think if you look at the core EDA RTL to GDS algorithms, uh, there's been all sorts of interesting research in the, let's call it the core placement, the core routing, these algorithms. But the trick to EDA is how do you put all of these together in that, in a way where you build a tool that can converge a design from RTL to GDS. And so the tricks of going from one step to another, optimizing for area and power and routability simultaneously. There are a lot of tricks to the trade there that really are unpublished. And you know, one of the goals of Open Road is to basically create a base EDA system so that people can do real work in those, let's call them more industrial practical areas to try to improve the final result of the system. Okay, so there's a lot of um, research that's been done and is in the industry standard tools, but not much has been published. Is that like a... That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And is, do you have to worry about things like patents or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. We have to make sure that we don't violate patents, etc. You know, as part of a university research project, which is non-commercial. We don't have to worry too much about that because it's not like we're in competition with anybody. We're just trying to push the state of the art forward. But we do think about that and try real hard to follow license agreements and all sorts of other intellectual property protection. Okay. Um, and uh, you were very kind enough to um, fill in a bunch of these uh, questions for me. Um, which doesn't often happen, so thanks for that. Um, sure. But it's it's also quite interesting for me because I, I can pick out one of these these things. So, f for example, um, one of your points in what's the aim of Open Road is train the next generation of EDA developers, and I think that's a really interesting topic. Could you expand on that a little bit, or like, yeah. 
Sure. So I think if for all of the EDA companies and anybody who wants to hire people who know about EDA, even in a design company, it's very hard to hire trained people with the right skill set. You know, people come out even with advanced degrees and they may not know how the tools work inside. They've used them. They've tried a couple of the fundamental algorithms, but they don't have deep knowledge of how the tools work inside, which is essential to be an expert user and also if to be a developer. So with Open Road and the code being open source, we can actually train people who come out with high level of expertise in how the EDA tool itself is developed and how it works. Okay, great. Do you think that there's a shortage of developers in the EDA industry? There's absolutely a shortage of developers in the EDA industry. Just look on LinkedIn and look how many positions are open. Ask any hiring manager who's trying to recruit. And it needs a special blend of skills. You need to understand digital design. You need to understand physical design if you're working in that part of the EDA tools. And you also have to understand complicated software development. You know, the EDA tools have a lot of code and they're complicated and, you know, they have to run fast. They have to represent large designs and a low amount of memory. So it is a difficult skill set to find. So maybe a good thing to put on your CV would be to open a few PRs, pull requests on GitHub against Open Road or Open Lane. Yeah, absolutely. Then you can show any prospective person who's thinking of hiring you for an EDA job that, look what I did. So if you've listened to the podcast or watched the videos before, then you know that I ask my guests what their favorite terminology is from the Zero to Asic course terminology page. So Tom, what's your favorite? Well, for me, it's kind of an easy answer to give you. It's STA, which stands for Static Timing Analysis, and it's how I got started in EDA. Logic simulations were running longer and longer, and eventually it was becoming, you know, the verification bottleneck actually started a long time ago. And static timing analysis was EDA's first foray into how do we reduce that verification bottleneck. So for people that don't even know what static timing analysis is, could you break that down a little bit for us? Sure. So normally when you want to do timing verification of a device, you would apply stimulus make sure the timing is met, look at what happens on the output of the pins, make sure the correct data is coming out at the correct time. So static timing analysis is a way to analyze the timing of a chip without vectors. So hence the term static. So um, if we make a comparison to say computer programming, which maybe a lot of people are familiar with, there's also static tools as well as dynamic tools in that field as well, aren't there? Yeah, that's exactly right. A dynamic tool, you probably would have to have a unit test and you would have to actually exercise the code. A static tool would run through the code and look for bugs. Yeah, there's definitely a parallel there. So when I look at the STA reports in OpenLane, I'm seeing kind of the longest combinational path and then checking that the setup and hold times for the flip-flops are being met. Is that's there right. Are there other things that needed to be taken into account, or is that, does that basically summarize it? At the high level, that summarizes it. There are other checks that have to be done between, besides setup and hold. There's recovery and removal. There's is my clock operating at the frequency that I determined, which is part of what a setup check is. 
But I would say at the end of the day, it's all about making sure that a constraint is satisfied. It may not always be a setup and hold check. Sometimes there's a skew check, you know, for a particular bus if the all signals of the bus have to be clocked together. And those constraints can also be entered in STA. Great. Thanks. Always like learning a little bit more deeper about these topics. I think one of the things that a lot of us, when I say us, I mean people new to this who've been brought in from um, the Google Skywater eFabulous collaboration. And so my, my only experiences with these tools and with the Sky130 PDK. And so I've kind of just assumed that that's the only PDK that's we've got accessible. I know there's like the Oklahoma State open source ones, but I don't think that's fabricable. Um, What other processes or technologies has Open Road being used with? Sure. And I think you meant the Arizona State University PDK. So they have done ASAP 7 and are working on ASAP 5. And you're right, those are not manufacturable. I think uh, definitely Open Road has been used to tape out designs at GF12, GF55, TSMC65, and uh, Intel 22. Okay, so there's actually a lot of extra stuff going on in the background. That's Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, these, of course, are private PDKs, so you won't hear about that. It's the usual thing where somebody has a direct relationship with those foundries, gains access to the proprietary data separate from us, and then they use Open Road to do their chip design and that technology. Okay. And what's the what's the take up on that? Like how many people are doing that? I would say the take up is a lot higher on the open source PDKs for obvious reasons. So I would say in terms of private PDKs, the number of people doing it is probably still less than 10. Okay. And we've had like over 100 applications for MPW1 and 2 so far, so That's right. A lot of people using it. Um Okay, and yeah, go on. Oh, I was just wanted to mention that it's. I think it's really important for Open Road to support advanced nodes because part of you know this open source tool suite that could be used to train the next generation of developers as a platform for research, it has to be able to handle advanced nodes. Otherwise, how important is that research? Yeah, it needs to be um, relevant. Right. Yeah, it's t- it's quite easy to write off open source stuff sometimes is kind of experimental or just like what's the use of it but i think yeah it's great to see actual chips actual silicon coming out and people getting silicon proven designs and that definitely the next step is going to be other nodes i've spoken to a few people who are very keen but they need much bigger memories on board so they need these much smaller process sizes right right yeah absolutely it makes sense and i hope that the phenomena of open source PDKs doesn't stop here with Sky 130, that we start to see more advanced nodes come up with open source PDKs available. Yeah. What do you think? Is it going to happen? Yeah, I do believe it'll happen. I think that always people working on bleeding edge technology will need to keep it secret so they can recoup all of the investment they made. But for the older technologies, which are um, quite valuable even if you're not on the bleeding edge. You can do a lot with something that's just a few years old. And I think there's enough interest from major companies in having open source PDKs that it will eventually happen. 
Yeah. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about how when you're on the bleeding edge and you're competing like in the CPU or GPU space, then those tiny advances in efficiency and power or area are crucial and gives you the competitive advantage. And that's why people pay a lot of money for the, the, the like the big name tools. But if that's you right. have a, a new design or like a, especially like a, maybe a mixed signal design that can really make use of what we have available on an ASIC, then your design doesn't need to be using cutting edge or like getting the absolute maximum power or area efficiency because it's doing something new and your, your unique thing is that you're um, competing in a new area. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's kind of like anything. Once a particular application matures, then it's going to be all about hyper-optimizing that application and getting every little bit that you can out of it. But at the beginning, when an application is new, just getting something into silicon and getting it out of software is such a huge benefit. And I think a lot of open road users will be people who are innovating in that area. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, you can look through the applications on MPW one and two and start to see that happening. And especially, I think one of the interesting areas here is the embedded FPGA fabric that people are working on. Yeah, absolutely. I spent uh, some years at Altera and I know how hard it is to bring up an FPGA and make it work. So it's really exciting to see an open source FPGA like that available that people could embed into their devices. Yeah, risk five with an embedded FPGA extension. Watch this space. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about the roadmap for Open Road going forwards. Sure. Uh, we have a long roadmap and a lot of things that we want to do, like any software project. But I think you know, just to focus down on a few of the more important things that we're looking at. One is improving PPA or power performance in area, you know, basically the output device that comes from open road, trying to make it smaller, faster, use less power is pretty critical. Um, we've also, in terms of pushing the forefront on that, we've created a new machine learning metrics capability, and we plan to leverage machine learning a lot more going forward to improve PPA and uh, also to improve the capacity of the tool. Another area of focus for us is how do we utilize cloud scale compute to both improve runtime and performance, you know, take the problem, break it up, and then really be able to run expensive algorithms on it. You know, today <clears throat> there's always a trade-off between PPA and runtime. Everybody wants the best chip possible, but they only want to wait so long to get it. And so I think the cloud scale compute availability has something really big to offer to EDA. And then, of course, we have a long list of requested features that, you know, I'd call it missing functionality that we want to fill in. Which of these, um, they all sounded quite interesting, which is the kind of the one that is the most interesting to you? Uh, for me personally, for a long time, I've had a real interest in parallel processing, cloud scale compute. If you Google my name and uh, distributed processing, you'll see a bunch of articles and papers that I've written over time. So for me personally, that's an area that I plan to spend a lot of time on. Great. Did you read that recent um, Google paper about using machine learning algorithms for uh, floor planning? 
Yeah, I did. It looks really exciting. I think using machine learning to advance the state of the art and what's possible. And, you know, most of our EDA problems are NP hard. You can't actually prove that you have the best solution when you have a solution. And I think machine learning is a great thing to add to our bag of tricks to make things better. Um, are you worried that you're going to lose your job to the machines? No, I don't think so. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, writing software is hard and writing software that does machine learning is also hard. So I think I don't worry much at all about machines being able to develop themselves and their own machine learning algorithms, at least not in my lifetime. How about um, chip designers though? Should they be worried? Well, again, I think it's like any industry. If you're doing a vanilla chip that's very simple, perhaps you know increased automation will require less chip designers working on that. But if you're working on the bleeding edge, it's so hard to hyper-optimize these chips and it's so competitive and the metrics that people are trying to achieve in terms of low power, battery life, et cetera, are so difficult that I think it, I, I wouldn't be worried either. Um, okay, so uh, moving on then, um, what is your favorite part of being involved in Open Road? Well, there's several favorite parts, but I think my most favorite part, I'll say, is working with people who really want to innovate beyond small incremental innovations. You know, Open Road is really trying to build a base then for people to do big, risky innovations. And that's really my favorite part of the project. Maybe if you let me answer a second favorite part, it's it's been exciting for me to see how Open Road is greatly expanding the field of who can design a chip. I think even high school students now are able to design a chip with Open Road wrapped inside Open Lane, and to me that's just really exciting to see. Yeah, I mean, I I I'm sure I owe you personally a lot for your work on this because um, as a complete newbie in this field. I've, I've only just completed my second uh, tape out ever. And, you know, it's amazing to me that, that that's even possible. It's an amazing time to be doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It would be really interesting to hear more about the recent announcement about Open Lane and Open Road. Sure. Open Lane team and Open Road teams have been working together closely for quite some time. In fact, I would claim that Open Lane was able to wrap Open Road before Open Road was even ready and get useful devices out of it. So we've been partnered with them for quite some time. What we've decided to do now is bring Open Lane and Open Road more closely together. So uh, the main vehicle for people running their designs through the flow will move from the Open Road flow scripts that we had been providing from the Open Road project to Open Lane. And so if you go to the Open Road project area now, you'll see Open Lane there. It's been upgraded to the absolute bleeding edge of the Open Road application. And we're really looking forward to even working together more tightly than we have been. And that's all now already live on GitHub, isn't it? If you go to the Open Road um, organization, you can see Open Lane in there. That's right. You can see it today. And what's your hopes for the future of this collaboration? Well, the hope is that we continue in the direction that we've been going. You know, it's one thing to build a tool and it's another re thing to build a flow that can actually complete a chip that is working. And the open lane 
contribution to open source EDA and using open road has really been to put that wrapper on top of it and to ensure that the technology is easily accessible by many people. Are you excited to have so many people using the tools that you've been working on? Yes, I'm very excited, of course, to see so many people using it. You know, with all of that use comes lots of requests and lots of work and lots of hard priority decisions to make. But um, yeah, it's really gratifying to see so many people using it and to be able to say there's been more than 100 tape outs now is great. Yeah, that's really excellent. Congratulations. Thanks. It goes to myself and the whole team. There's been a lot of people behind this for and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that have gone into this over the past couple of years. Yeah. Okay, well, um, Tom, thanks so much for your time today to talk us through all of this. It's been really interesting and insightful to get your feedback on this. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. It's been my pleasure.